how do you lead the best possible life as a human, which reduces your karma at you know the most that you can, um, so that you know, eventually you can achieve what we call moksha, which is nirvana. You know, like eventually your soul can be one with the universe. Um, and you know, in that context, in that philosophy, the one tenant that helps you the most in reducing your karma and living the best possible life you can as a human is ahimsa. It is complete nonviolence in your thoughts, in your actions, in your speech, um, right? So it's not just like violence in the way we think of it, but it's the violence in everything. Um, and yeah, so that's it's kind of the philosophy that we were immersed with growing up. Um, both Shilpi and I come from that that culture, and um, but you know, it's and, and James, like, we they. Is a community, and no community is ever perfect. So everybody tries their best, you know, and and that's embraced and and and, and accepted. That you know, everybody tries their best. So there's some that will be able to do even more. There's some Jains that will refuse to walk on grass because they don't want to step on bugs by accident. You know, so they'll take the long way around on the sidewalk. You know, if they can find it, right? So it, everybody does their best. You know, um, and here at Love and Arms, you know, we just felt like this is the one key value that if we can exemplify, if we can help others be inspired to adopt in their life and along with the, in the journey and be able to evolve that understanding of that value over time, that we will be able to do the most good. It's not just about eating plant-based, it's about the why behind it with this value that it's you know, you eat plant-based because it is the most ahimsic to your own body, to the planet Earth, as well as to the animals. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, and alongside me is BJ, my co-host and partner in life. We started this podcast in 2016 with zero idea of how to be podcast hosts, producers, or researchers, but we started anyway because the pull to share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose overrode the fear. It did not negate the fear. We just moved forward despite. And I found this to be a similar recipe amongst the guests we are blessed to converse with on this show. I found a life that feels purposeful is not about eradicating obstacles or fears. Those two things are very present. But as we follow a deeper calling to move forward despite, the obstacle and fears become the not-so-troubling norm of a fulfilling life. Purpose comes in unexpected ways, but as I reflect on my own life experience, I see a million moments that led so logically to where I sit today. For our guest, Shalene Shaw, it started many decades ago with a love for horses, a love that eventually led to a rescue of a horse named Halle, which led to another rescue, and then eventually to the creation of Loving Arms Animal Sanctuary located in Erie, Colorado. To date, Loving Arms has rescued over 800 animals from circumstances of neglect, abuse, and the systematic terror of animal agriculture. They have exponentially raised awareness amongst humans that animals are individuals with families, emotions, and community needs. They have taught tens of thousands that these sacred beings have the right, the same right that people do, to live a peaceful and loving life in their natural habitats. Steeped in the principle of ahimsa, 
Loving Arms is dedicated towards a life that embraces nonviolence towards all living beings. As stated on their website, they provide exceptional lifelong social, emotional, and cognitive care to rescued farm animals and advocate for those who have not been rescued by sharing their residents' stories to inspire, educate, and empower others to embrace a more compassionate and sustainable lifestyle. Shalene and his wife, Shilpi, founded Loving Arms in 2015 with zero idea of how to build a sanctuary. They faced an extraordinary task ahead, but could not deny the circumstances that unfolded or the knowing that the universe was asking them to step into a completely new purpose in life. So with a deep calling on their hearts, two young children, and a mountain of obstacles ahead of them, they went for it. We are so grateful for the conversation that is about to unfold. My heart has been touched deeply in my research leading into this show, and I have shed a few tears along the way. Shalene Shaw, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Um, wonderful to connect with you here, Jesse and BJ. Mm. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, a friend of ours, a dear friend of ours who lives in Boulder, Shelby. She's more of a sister than a friend. And um, I believe years back she was inspired by an interview that we did with Jean Bauer from Farm Sanctuary and really just sparked the curiosity. And of course, we've since stayed with her and, and visited with her and, and, you know, cooked dinner and cooked vegan. And, um, and her and her son have come out to Loving Arms. It has impacted their lives significantly. I believe that they've done some volunteering out there as well. And she is the one that led us to you. So I'm just so grateful. The trickle effect is so powerful. Would you agree? Yes, I completely agree. Wow. Well, thank you, Shelby. Yeah, yeah. And so I'll be out there actually for the Thanksgiving holiday. So I would uh, also love to come out for a visit and, and yeah. see the property. Please do. So uh, tell us, you know, what's going on on the, on the sanctuary grounds today? Anything, uh, anybody having extra fun today? Or what does a day in the life of a farm sanctuary look like? I think that's that's the one thing that we are always just energized by is all the new things that are always happening at a sanctuary. There's, I don't think any one day can be the same as another. Um, so, uh, it, you know, our, it's because we have so many individual lives unfolding and on a day-to-day -day basis that brings about, you know, just, it, it's, it's just unique every day. Um, so it's a lot of great things happening. We actually have our um, gala uh, at the uh, on on Saturday. Um, it's our seventh annual gala is coming up. So very busy, you know, kind of a um, lot of activity happening to prepare for that. This is the first year that we'll actually have it at the sanctuary. Um, so very excited to host uh, people uh, for for this event. Um, but uh, also just a lot of um, great things happening for some of our. You know, the residents, um, you know, many are in uh, good health, uh, you know, and they, some of the ones that we are caring for, they, you know, continue to to thrive and, and do well. Um, so, uh, but all good things. Um, how is the, like, how many people are you looking to host this weekend for the gala? We've sold out on 200 tickets, um, and so we'll be hosting at least 200 plus, uh, you know, a few vendors and volunteers who are helping that day. 
Oh my gosh. And how has that grown over the years? I think our first gala um, was about 130 people. Um, so it's, it's grown, certainly. Um, so it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's great to, you know, like once a year kind of come together and celebrate the work that's done at the sanctuary. Um, so the gala is always a great highlight. Hmm. What kind of interest do you, um, do you get from these events? Do you get people that, um, are they most often they've already been there or are they, is this their first experience? Yeah, amazingly, I think that for our first few galas was like mostly people that were close-knit community, you know, volunteers and and, um, and donors are more close-knit and had been to the sanctuary multiple times. Um, but lately, the past couple of years, it seems that we, we get donors who have followed the story of Love and Arms, but have not actually been to Love and Arms, but they come to the gala and are inspired to give. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's something, you know, somehow it's, it's, it attracts a different group of individuals than only our, of course, our community and our volunteers do still come. Um, but it, it also brings uh, people who normally don't come to the, to the sanctuary. It's that universal like draw or momentum or energetic right feel or pull that is is something that you're creating in Erie, Colorado. I think that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. We're, yeah, we feel the blessings every day for for what what Love and Arms has grown to be. Uh, so let's go back before you were feeling the blessings of what Loving Arms um, <laughs> has grown to be and you were feeling the blessings and the calling of the creation of the sanctuary and you know um, yeah, take us through the story because you didn't, you didn't grow up on a farm. Like you didn't grow up caring for animals. You weren't a veterinarian. In fact, I believe you were in tech. No. <laughs> um, so, which is very different when you have, you know, a, a cow with a infected udder or a chicken, you know, with an infection or, or things like that. So, I mean, none of this added up on paper, yet here you are. So we'd love to hear the story all the way going back to what brought you to, you know, an animal-free, dairy-free um, life. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so when, when our first son was born about 11 years ago, um, when my wife Shilpi would nurse him, he would immediately throw up and had very bad reactions. Um, and he was not thriving, wasn't putting on weight. So we went to go see our pediatrician and luckily we had a more holistically minded pediatrician who recommended an elimination diet to Shopee. And the very first thing on the list on that diet was to remove dairy from her, from her diet. So, you know, she said, okay, well, if this will help uh, Arav, let me give that a try. And she eliminated dairy. It was very difficult for her because like, you know, multiple times a day she was having a glass of cow's milk and like, she just, you know. Um, but she did it. And, and miraculously, like Arav was better within 24 hours that he was actually able to keep his milk down and was – was starting to thrive, his eczema cleared up. Uh, I mean, it just seemed unbelievable to us. Um, you know, she restarted research, like, okay, wait, why? You know, like, isn't milk supposed to be 
this perfect healthy food for us and you know we grew up with it all of our life like we've never had issues um so she started researching and then started finding all of these medical scientific recommendations of not why dairy milk is not good for human consumptions, why it's not meant for us, etc. And then digging deeper, she also started finding a lot of the ethical problems with, with uh, dairy. And the one that she connected with the most is, you know, like cows as mothers carry their babies in their stomach for nine months, similar to humans. And, but when their, their baby's born, it's snatched away almost immediately. And, you know, so that humans can take the milk. Um, and she just couldn't get over that fact, like connecting with her being a new mom and our baby and just imagining what a cow mom would go through every time that's done to her. And, and it's done off, you know, like every single year. So, um, so she decided right then and there that she's going to go vegan. Um, and, and, you know, she was the only one, like we didn't know anybody who was vegan at that time, not in our family or friend circle. Um, so she, you know, it was kind of a lot to figure out. Um, and it took me another two years to go vegan, right? So even though she was inspired to this, it, I just, I, frankly, I was addicted to cheese, mm-hmm. which there's scientific evidence to, to link, you know, true addiction to cheese. Um, so it took me another two years. Um, and then more, you know, when my younger son was born, uh, Avi, um, we just, like, we've never had pets in our lives. Um, and for some reason, just kind of, we were getting drawn to animals. Um, and this one time, Shopi was at a park and uh, saw this man riding around on a horse with a bunch of other kids and, you know, just decided to approach him and start conversation. And then, uh, you know, in a week later, um, my son Arv and I are out riding with him every every week, um, multiple times a week. And uh, and then that leads us to decide that, okay, we'll adopt a horse of our own so that we have our own horse to ride. Um, yeah, I used to ride when I was young in India. Um, but, you know, and then we adopt Holly and she was the first animal that had ever been part of our family, first pet ever. And for the first time, we started seeing her for who she is as a you know an individual and started seeing her and her needs and wants instead of just what I wanted from her and you know because I wanted to ride that was my desire not necessarily hers um and so then that realization slowly led me to stop riding and and then we decided to rescue other horses because we discovered um, you know how horses are abused in, in the society. And so we rescued another horse named Niblet, who was just a baby being discarded. Um, and then we heard of another horse and two babies that were being sent to this auction, which is called a slaughter auction. That's just animal goes the animals are sent there to be discarded and most often the buyers are from you know brokers for slaughterhouses 
And so we decided to go and try to rescue them. And when we were there, we had to wait six hours for those horses to be brought to the auction floor. That's just how many, how many animals were there. And in those six hours, I, you know, we witnessed hundreds and hundreds of other farmed animals of all sorts. Most of them just look like babies. And they were being pulled, kicked, prodded, and pushed onto this auction floor, being sold by the pound. And we could see in their faces their individuality and their fear and their emotions of that that place. And it reminded uh, me of just how Holly was you know, as an individual. And you know, it was a really difficult day not being able to rescue more, rescue others. Um, and, you know, we didn't have land of our own. We just had a small suburban home. The horses, we were boarding at a boarding facility. And, uh, you know, so once we rescued those horses that we went there to get, um, on the way to this boarding facility, all I could think of is there were so many others that I wished I could have rescued, but we couldn't. We didn't have land. There was no place for us to put pig or a goat or a cow um you know and so that's all we could think of and you know that very evening out of the blue somebody called us um said hey there's 23 acres um two miles from your house that's for at least do you know anybody who can use that <laughs> and that just felt like a call from the universe that we had to do this um so that night Shopee and i spent you know, half the night just staying up talking about this because like you said we have no experience with animals even the horses we rescued or were being cared for by somebody else at a boarding facility um and we had two young boys um, my youngest was just one and the oldest was just three so we were not in our you know like somebody would say like okay that was you know there's there's no way you should do this <laughs> but somehow we couldn't ignore the call from the universe so the next day we signed the lease and love and arms was born um we you know the the property was in shambles uh, there was one old barn that still needed a lot of safety fixes before we could rescue anybody or have any animals there and we did not have much of a network or you know, group of people here to help us. But somehow in speaking with a neighbor, somebody posted on Facebook and lo and behold, like that very next weekend, we had 35 strangers who just came and showed up and stayed all day to help us with you know, fixing up the property. And they kept coming week after week. And through that confidence of community, uh, we decided that we can do this. And not only can we do this as a small rescue, but we can really do this as a sanctuary that can make a difference to animals far beyond who we can rescue. So that's, uh, that's, that's a story. Oh gosh, that's a story that only, only the divine would organize. Completely illogical, just sparkled with miracles everywhere. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, oh, man, the story about that auction is, it's just so heavy. It's so hard that you sat there for six hours. And just like, I, 
I've heard, I heard you, I've heard you tell the story before as, as I was listening to other podcasts and I just was really contemplating that six hours of animals being auctioned off to die. And that wasn't the only auction ever to take place. Like there's one taking, there's more than one taking place right now. And, and, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine how heavy your heart was. Here you are with these beautiful sacred beings that you've rescued and it's like, okay, well, we're going to, but there was that part that was still very much undone. And there was like, like there was more there. Could you feel like that there was more coming or I don't know, like that, how was that ride home? I mean, I know you touched upon it, but. It was rough. Um, you know, here you have this elation that you've been able to help save three lives and then you have this despair of, but there were hundreds others just like these three. They all deserved to be able to live their full life, not just these three horses that we rescued. And, you know, so that tears at you and it just makes you feel very small in the world. Like what I did made no difference except to those three individuals that I was able to rescue, you know, and that just, you know, like it was extremely emotional, um, that, that whole day and, and that night. And then when you get a phone call like that saying, you know, but, but wait, your wish can be granted, (laughs) you know, just, yeah, there's no, there's no words to be able to express the emotions that go through you in that moment. Who took that call that night? Was it you? Yeah, it was me. It was me. So Um, how did you, how did you, how did you break the news to Shilpi? Um, I mean, we were talking through the day about just the, you know, that emotional, um, just yeah the the tear of what we were seeing um so yeah when i told her about this i mean she herself couldn't believe it it just um it it really felt like a miracle in that moment that that wow um yeah that there is here is an answer here is something we can do you know if we felt too small and felt like what we did was inadequate. Well, here's a way that we can do more. Um, Here's a way that we can help build a world that we want our two little boys to grow up in. And here's a way that we can show them that, you know, if there's something wrong in the world, you have the power to work to change it. And, you know, so there is, yeah, a lot of, a lot of great conversations and emotions that we went through in that, in those 24 hours before we signed that lease. All the, uh, all the fear and doubt too, that, that floods in. So you're acting or moving through your heart. Like your heart is pulling you towards this. The mind is probably the one that's, you know, most obviously doubting and having a little bit of fear, but I was just thinking that probably wasn't the biggest, the biggest fear was, was not being able to help the rest of at least some more animals, at least. Yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I've, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. So as an entrepreneur, I've just had to figure things out, you know. Um, so that part of, yeah, the the starting was not as scary. But yeah, you're right. Like the, the scary part was um, 
Well, it was twofold. One, can we really do this in a way that really helps um, the animals? And, and two, what are we getting into and what are we taking away from our two boys? Um, you know, yes, we'll be able to give them this amazing experience to build from and, and this um, demonstrated, you know, action that, you know, will give, empower them to be able to take action in their lives when they feel something is, you know, needs to change in the world. Um, but what are we also taking away from them? Because this was going to be um, a tremendous personal sacrifice uh, that we're all going to have to make. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, somehow it all came through. <laughs> There's a, a beautiful quote from Rumi that just recently came into my life at the perfect time because it, it typically does. And it, it reads, be watchful. The grace of God appears suddenly. It comes without warning to an open heart. Mm. And that's what I found is that things will happen in an instant. And you just, it's just, it's never logical. It doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So the other thing that doesn't make sense is like all these people that just kept showing up to help you guys get the, get the structure of this sanctuary together. So who was your first farmed animal rescue? Who was your first resident or was there more than one that came, um, came at once? Yeah, there was, there was, there's, there's um, three distinct rescues that were all very much together, like within just a few days of each other. So um, one was three chickens that came from a egg laying facility that were being discarded. Uh, one of these volunteers who came, you know, was just happened to know of it and went there and rescued them. Um, two of them, you know, passed away, unfortunately, between then and now, but one of them is still with us. And, um, but, you know, so, and then, and then we had uh, a baby goat named Alfie, who's also still with us. He was being discarded from a goat dairy uh, here in Longmont. And then somebody took him from that goat dairy and was going to use him as a lawnmower or a weed, you know, weed killer in his back in their backyard. And then realized that the, um, the county wouldn't allow them to keep them there. And then he came to the sanctuary. And then um, the other two, the other was two pigs, um, pig brothers, uh, Franklin and Felix. And, oh my gosh, well, each of these rescues taught us so much that Felix and Franklin taught us the most, I feel. Um, I mean, we knew nothing, uh, you know, and... We went to go and rescue them. They were uh, rescued from this uh, place in Colorado Springs that is actually a city-run park, and it's, it ran as a um, like a historical park that shows you how life was in the 1800s, and people worked there, dress up like that, etc. And what they did was every spring they would get two baby pigs, and they would raise them in the park while people could visit them and see them. And in fall, they would actually slaughter them and process them in front of a paying audience um, to demonstrate how every body part of a pig was used in the 1800s. It was just inhumane and horrific. Um, but, 
they were rescued because a community came together and petitioned the park and the city to 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 rescue them. Um, and but when we went to go and get them, you know, knowing nothing, like I rented a trailer and went down there, and uh, we said we decided, okay, we'll use pumpkins. The pigs love pumpkins, so we'll use pumpkins and we'll you know bring them into the trailer, and then all will be fine. Um, so we did. We we brought the trailer really close by. We. Uh, attracted them with pumpkins and got them in the trailers and and then we were just like standing around celebrating like oh yeah we did this and uh, at that moment you know the pigs realized well, we hadn't closed the trailer there was nothing <laughs> keeping them in. so then they, they ran out and started running around the property and we had to chase them for I think two hours to you know it's just like the things you learn um but that was fine because they they had such a wonderful adventure we were just afraid that they would go out to the road um where there's traffic but um but yeah gosh there was so much to learn and then one of the brothers franklin oh my gosh like the his soul was just absolutely pure like i mean we have so many stories of people meeting Franklin for the first time and within five minutes without being told anything, they will get up from meeting him and decide right then and there that they'll never eat ham or pork or bacon again. Like they're just, just meeting him. Cause he's just, he was just, he was an inspiration for us to, to know that, you know, like we, we don't necessarily need to do education at the sanctuary. We don't need to tell people, you know, like do this or do that or don't, you know, like it, it's about helping people connect with these individuals and in, as individuals. And you, like once people connect with them in that way and realize that they are smart, intelligent, social beings and are all individuals, then, you know, like that, that inspiration comes from that. Um, and that's, you know, that's really what we've tried to do. And, and, and Franklin's the one who inspired us to, to do that um, from, from the early rescue. So with these rescues, um, you know, some of them are coming from pretty atrocious conditions and, and uh, they've been treated poorly, uh, you know, to say the least, neglect. Um, what's the biggest obstacle once you, it's not like they show up and they go, oh, these humans are great. This place is great. Like they're, they're beings with, you know, nervous systems and they've been conditioned. Yeah. They, mm -hmm. They're in this condition of fear. And so what's yeah. the biggest obstacle once you bring them to the sanctuary that you found? Yeah, no, I think you've 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 said it well that it's um, it's it's the time and patience and love that each of these rescues need to be able to trust uh, trust humans again, and you know, and each of them are different. You know, some of them are much ready to forgive and and be loved and love others much more readily, um, and then others. It take years, you know. It um, there was a there's a donkey family that we rescued, and you know the the previous owner was just 
you know, like they, there's this connotation that donkeys are stubborn, um, but it's it's a very different fight or flight reflex that the donkeys have, and they're super smart. Um, but they stand their ground, and you know, I think the the previous owner would would beat them with um, the halter, and and their hooves had overgrown and were like curled back, you know, that nobody could take care of their hooves either. Um, so it took us, you know, slowly and slowly, gosh, I think over a year to get them to really trust us. Um, and, and now, you know, it, they, that's the default. Um, but there is a cow that's been with us for four years and, you know, the previous life, we don't know what he suffered. And, and he still has a very hard time trusting people, um, you know, but we're, we're working with that. And, and, you know, we've gotten to a point where, um, you know, we can, we can caress his face, but still, you know, be able to be ready to give him space when he needs it. Um, so it just, it, it's different for each one, but that's really, I think the most challenging work is getting them to know that they're safe and to trust. And I think it's interesting that it's, they're individuals, right? It's not like, oh, cows trust and pigs don't and chickens right. take six months. And like, we want to quantify it into breeds and make it simple and who's <laughs> going to be easier to, to trust and not trust. And, and the thing is that they are, they're individuals and um, they have a purpose on this earth. And, and so, man, it's um, when you, when you bring these animals in, so I know that Loving Arms is committed to Ahimsa. Mm. And so the first thing we think about is, is how you're treating these animals, right? Kindness and patience and love, safety, all of those things are first and foremost. How do you reconcile in your own heart the people who have, you know, these animals have been the property of, or um, I don't love this word, but like the victims of, um, because they are also beings, right? Yeah. And so nonviolence to all beings. Uh, and it's something that, you know, I know BJ and I work with a lot as well. It's really, really hard to, to um, in a world where so few will pray for those souls mm. or wish them, you know, awakening or light or peace in their life. How do you reconcile it? And how does that trickle down to your your volunteers. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel that Love and Arms has always been a place that leads by example. And that includes just how, you know, Shopee and I show up as well. Um, and, you know, whenever we reflect on how we as individuals come to be where we are, you know, whatever our individual philosophies are, um, and let's say ahimsa is that philosophy, then how we get there, you know, we have to, if you look back, you'll think about like it took a lifetime, maybe even generations to help you arrive where you are. But that was your path. It doesn't have to be, you know, like that same path may not have been available to everybody else. So it's their generations or their whole lifetime to where they are today is who, what makes them who they are. And so when you think of it from that perspective, 
you know, you can only provide compassion from, from there, you know, there, we can't expect everybody to be the same. Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, like you said, it's nonviolence to all beings, not just animals. Um, so that includes the humans that, um, may not have known better to how to care for the individuals in their lives. Um, so we, we absolutely uh, lend them the same compassion. And, and you can't give away what you, what you don't have. So if you don't have compassion, if you don't have that grace for yourself, it's really, really tough to, to place that on others. Do you, do you have volunteers that you, you sort of help move through that process? Like you're there because, let's face it, maybe they're angry and they want to you know, help, uh, help the animals, but uh, maybe there's a process to sort of begin to maybe shine a new perspective? I hope so. I, I think, you know, we, we are always very open and very inclusive to all volunteers and visitors. There's no, well, you have to be this way to volunteer with us. Um, uh, but, you know, so we, we get volunteers from all sorts and we have stories from, uh, you know, so many volunteers of their transition, their uh, inspiration and their transformation. Um, you know, we have volunteers who come to do community service hours that were court ordered. And, you know, they they think that, you know, coming to a sanctuary like ours will be interesting, fun. They'll be outdoors and, you know, they'll see some cute animals. Like, that's why they come, right? There's no other, you know, uh, thought process behind that. And but when they come, they they are immersed in this environment that you know, kind of is, is it just a very different you know they end up seeing well this isn't like any other farm that i've ever been to or this isn't how you know pigs have been kept in other places and you know that just it just happens that you know you spend enough time in a place like that and you can't help but be touched and to you know really think about your own choices and your own history and your own actions so yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's there's lots of stories that uh, of transformation like that. It's good self self reflection moments. It's like the the animals are the mirror, uh, basically, or that experience is a mirror to to kind of see what's going on inside of you. So it's actually a, a, an amazing growth opportunity you're providing for these people, these volunteers that are coming. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like Franklin, right? You were saying like he's so pure. And that just shows us the purity. It brings out the purity within us. Mm. You know, we think, we think a sunset makes us feel peaceful, but the sunset is showing us that we actually have peace within us that will, yeah. uh, will arise in the right circumstances. Loving arms aside, you've also created this unbelievable resource for people, uh, opensanctuary.org. Yeah. Uh, will you tell us about the inspiration for that and what it is? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, as, as I've shared, we knew nothing about how to start a sanctuary, how to, you know, like I couldn't, I could barely swing a hammer. Uh, so I couldn't fix or build buildings for, you know, the animals that we rescue. Um, and in that process, you know, we, you think, okay, well, this is, you know, like the modern century, we'll just Google everything. Um, but what you quickly realized when you do is that all of the information that you found was how to farm these animals, 
not how to care for them for their life to the fullest. So we found information on, well, what do you feed a pig? And you'd find all this information on, you know, food to fatten them up and for them to only live for nine months of their age, uh, you know, for of their life. And because that's the age that they're slaughtered. But you found very little information for the types of diseases that they get as they live beyond those uh, years. You know? So it, um, it just felt like there was not enough information out there. And that if we're feeling this, then there's so many other people out there who either have a sanctuary or want to have a sanctuary or just fall in love with an individual farmed animal and want to care for them for their whole life. Then how do they do the same? And so that's the inspiration behind Open Sanctuaries, that we wanted to provide that information openly in a, from the perspective of compassion for the animals first and foremost. And um, we're very blessed to be able to find somebody who could help us lead that project. Um, so Z um, came on very early on with Open Sanctuary and took that vision and implemented it in this amazing, beautiful way. And we now have um, five team members at Open Sanctuary, and they have hundreds. I think we're close to about 600 resources now, all about how to um, create or run or grow a farm animal sanctuary of any size and how best to care for individual farm species. Um, I think we were the first, you know, Google, you know, resource on the internet of how to do a health check for a turkey or a pig, you know, like the things that just didn't exist because most people don't raise those animals for, for, you know, full life and for, like a compassionate perspective. So, mm. um, yeah. and, a, and a lot of these animals that you're, that are coming to you, I would assume, you know, are sick or they, they really need care. And, um, what do you think based on your experience, we see a lot of, you know, grass fed, hormone free, antibiotic free, all of that stuff, which, you know, Beej and I were under that blindfold too. We thought it was better. Uh, we, and, um, what is the you think the biggest misconception when it comes to that as far as like to the detriment of the animal? Yeah. So there was this one rescue we went to. Um, it was a antibiotic-free kind of you know, humane chicken farm for chickens raised for meat. Um, and it was here in Colorado. Um, but they were going bankrupt, didn't have money to feed the uh, the birds or money to heat the barns in the middle of winter. So there are these 30,000 birds that were slowly dying uh, in, in this uh, in, in their buildings. Um, and, and so when we went there to rescue, you know, we saw firsthand what antibiotic free meant because it doesn't mean that they're not confined. It doesn't mean that they're not raised by the tens of thousands. But what antibiotic-free meant is that these birds did not have the antibiotics that they needed to fight off the diseases that was rampant in those buildings. Um, that so these birds were incredibly diseased. I mean, they were just weeks old and they had the most horrific diseases and they did not have the antibiotics that they needed to fight those. 
So the reason why antibiotics are given to farmed animals in such high quantities is because they're packed in. Like we went through the experience of the pandemic. We know how quickly diseases spread, right? So when these animals are packed in, in miserable conditions, they have terrible health, um, they're being, you know, thought of as commodities, only, you know, fed the worst kinds of food to fatten them up they are very susceptible to disease. And so antibiotics are fed to them to stave off that disease so then they can grow fat enough to be slaughtered. You know, so it's all, it's, it's a profit and loss calculation for the industry. Um, but without that, the animals suffer dearly in the same conditions. That's not to say there are some small farms where they're actually outdoors and, you know, like raised in these uh, conditions that may in their own, like in that little window seems like, oh, well, that's very nice and humane. But when you actually extrapolate that and think of it in a larger global perspective, you quickly realize that that is highly unsustainable because raising farm animals like we, there's just too many people to who want to eat meat to, for all animals to actually be raised in that way. Um, and even if they were, I mean, that's aside from the ethical arguments of what happens to those animals in the end anyways. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's intense. Um, yeah. Never heard that part of it. Never even considered it. Right. It's like how much we just buy into what's on a package and, yeah. oh, it's better. Um, that veil is, oof, hopefully it's thinning for some that uh, are tuning into this podcast. So Ahimsa, right? Ahimsa, here we go. You were born into a life of Ahimsa, and I know we're getting ready to wrap it up. I want to respect your time as I know you have an appointment to get to. Um, but can you tell, tell us a little bit about that? You were born into this, and, and what did that look like growing up? Sure. Um, yeah, so we... We're born into a faith called Jain, Jainism, um, and it is, it's, it's hard to say that it's a religion, because I mean, there isn't like a deity, that the, it's, it's more of a philosophy of life, like how do you lead the best possible life as a human, which reduces your karma at, you know, the most that you can, um, so that, you know, eventually you can achieve what we call moksha, which is nirvana, you know, like eventually your soul can be one with the universe. Um, and, you know, in that context, in that philosophy, the one tenant that helps you the most in reducing your karma and living the best possible life you can as a human is ahimsa. It is complete nonviolence in your thoughts, in your actions, in your speech, um, right? So it's not just like violence in the way we think of it, but it's the violence in everything. Um, and yeah, so that's it's kind of the philosophy that we were immersed with growing up. Um, both Shilpi and I come from that that culture, and um, but you know, it's in, in James, like we they. Is a community, and no community is ever perfect. So everybody tries their best, you know, and, and that's embraced and, 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 and accepted that, you know, everybody tries their best. So there's some that will be able to do even more. There's some Jains that will refuse to walk on grass because they don't want to step on bugs by accident, you know, so they'll take the long way around on the sidewalk, you know, if they can find it, right? So it, everybody does their best, you know, um, and 
here at Love and Arms, you know, we just felt like this is the one key value that if we can exemplify, if we can help others be inspired to adopt in their life and along with the, in the journey and be able to evolve that understanding of that value over time, that we will be able to do the most good. It's not just about eating plant-based, it's about the why behind it with this value that it's, you know, you eat plant-based because it is the most ahimsic to your own body, to the planet Earth, as well as to the animals. You know, that that's, you know, that then can evolve to an ethical standpoint and, you know, become vegan, right? Like vegan is an ethical standpoint. It's not a diet. Um, so the diet, right, can evolve into that once you live through those values. That's a, that's a, it's, that is powerful. I, I'm, I'm thinking about so many ways that we can expand, right? Because we want to, I feel as a culture, it's an easy thing to say like, oh, I'm just gonna eat plant-based and then I'm good. But there's a lot more depth to ahimsa in, in non-harming ourselves and others and thoughts and intentions and words and, and all of that. Um, yeah, so it's taking it to that next level, taking it, taking it deeper and deeper. And I love that you mentioned being your best, like just to, to be your best. And we talk about that a lot at Yogi Triathlete with the athletes that we work with and, and train with is just to do your best and be your best. That's, that can yeah. be enough. That can be enough, right? It doesn't have to be over and beyond. But I, I think it opens up the question of how, how far are we willing to go to, to be our, our, our best and, and merge our soul, like you were talking about, with, with one, like be able to go to that extreme. Um, if it's extreme, I just think it's where you want to go. Like I, I want to get there yeah. quick. Um, so more, uh, more loving thoughts, less, less harmful thoughts. What do you want? Um, what do you want people to take away when they come and visit the farm? What would, what would inspiration? Inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. We just want them to be inspired to, to think about the world differently, right? Inspired to think about farmed animals differently. Um, and, or just be inspired to adopt this key value of Ahimsa. And right. So that's, that's really our, our goal is to inspire people to, to expand their compassion. Um, and, and as people do that, as they go into that journey, they'll, you know, they'll eventually get to that point where they'll start eating plant-based or start being more of a flexitarian and reduce. And, you know, because everybody's journey is their own. We, we don't have expectations of anybody who come in and say, well, tomorrow you have to be plant-based, you know, like it's journeys are their own. Um, and it's all complex. It's never simple. Um, so, you know, we just want them to be inspired to do something to do the next thing that whatever it is in their, in their journey. Beautiful. I love that. Cause it is just about taking the next logical step, you know, and sometimes it's huge. Yeah. Like for you, it was signing a lease on, you know, 20, 20 or so acres, uh, for somebody else, it might just be, um, you know, opting for a garden burger, something like mm -hmm. that. You know, it is just about meeting yourself where you're at, taking that next step, that that is the most logical because it's it's all you can't skip a step. It's all those little steps that um, yeah. bring you to where where it is that you desire to be. And I think in our nature we are we are good. We are good. Yeah. We are nonviolent in our nature. Uh, Shaleen, thank you so much 
for your time today. I so appreciate it. And I look forward to coming and visiting Loving Arms, hopefully in these next coming months. Um, thank you. This was such a pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you when you're here. And I will invite all of your listeners to also come and see us in Colorado. Wonderful. I hope they take you up on yes. that. Um, thanks so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day on the farm. And um, yeah, this has been a great pleasure. We appreciate it. Thank you.